Karibu, one tribe. Something like that. Did I get it right? I am so excited to be with you. I am like a kid. I get to do this and uh, often have to say, what else would I ever want to do with my one and only life other than just serve God's people in different parts of the world? I've got such an amazing community in Cape Town, not too dissimilar to you guys, uh, but you definitely are the second best church in Africa that I know. I mean, uh, no, but we do uh, both. Uh, Sue has sent her greetings. I was on the phone to her last night. She's please send my love to everybody uh, in one tribe, and uh, we carry a deep affection for you. We count it a privilege to come and serve. Uh, I also bring you uh, greetings from our advanced uh, global leadership team and want to uh, covet your prayers for our global conference, which happens in the first week of May in the UK. Uh, numbers of people coming from all over the world to be part of that. I think we've got 4,500 leaders coming in, uh, church leaders and their wives. And we see that as an opportunity to kind of, in this post-COVID season and after many challenges, uh, to kind of re-emerge and move from a sort of a back foot onto the front foot in terms of what God has called us to be as leaders. And so pray for that, and uh, uh, we're ex we really are expectant of God speaking to us and uh, shaping us for an enlarged inheritance in, in the world and in our moment in history. Today I want to speak to you on what I've called what uh, I've called what God wants for us or what God wants for you. If you want to personalize it, and I know I've got your attention because if I'd said what God wants from you, you immediately start to think, "Here's the guy, the white shoed evangelist, uh, who's after something. I'm going to be exploited in some way." I want to say to you, with every ounce of my being, I want to speak to you because of something in the heart of God that is for you. But, listen carefully, it's a certain segment of the global demographic that Paul is addressing, which will include most of you. There may be a few exceptions, but now I've got your attention You're thinking, what is Rigby talking about? So I'm so glad you've asked this question. Because your demographic as a church, and I'm not thinking of race or culture, I'm thinking of income bands. I'm thinking of our economic life. And I want to put it to you that in Cape Town, I probably lead a church that in the South African context uh, uh, is in the top 5% of income earners in South Africa. But on a global scale, we're probably in the top... 30 or 40%. We're not right up there with the Europeans. It's amazing how we compare ourselves upwards all the time and we aspire. Or if we're arrogant, we compare ourselves downward. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not like those guys. But Paul is coaching a young pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And he's trying to equip Timothy to be 
this well-rounded pastor, and he has to speak courage to him, and he's telling him whole lots of stuff, qualifications for elders, describes how he needs to care for different parts of the church, widows, orphans, men, women, how we need to bring respect, and this wonderful sense of uh, mutuality that moves the church forward. And then it's almost like he's just finishing off this this, uh, first letter in chapter 6, and then he says, Timothy, oops, just before I sign off this letter, something you need to give careful attention to. I want you to know there is a segment in your community that you need to address. They're the high earners. And in Cape Town, I would be able to preach when I'm preaching. I haven't preached it there yet. I'm about to. But if I were to preach it, I would be preaching to 90% of our congregation. In the context of Kenya, I've asked a couple of leaders to try and work out where you would fit into a Kenyan kind of economic uh, bandwidth. And uh, I think you're probably in that top 10%, maybe 5%, some of you, and some 1%. Don't feel bad. Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's including these as dearly loved saints of God. There's no, nothing wrong with living in the blessing of God, but God wants something for you. And God is coming after us in a way that is so kind, so lovely, so ravishing. So I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to sigh a sigh of relief, because this is a God who loves us. And I want you to look for the key verse in the passage. Drum solo. Okay, those people who gave the drum solo are most expectant. Okay, where is this technology going? Don't you just love those passcode lock things? They just come in at the wrong time. So, we're going to read together from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Read a passage from verse 6 to verse 10, then we're going to jump down to verse 17. We're going to bring it together because it's unbelievably beautiful and powerful economic wisdom to shape our lives. Remember, right attitudes produce right actions. The craziest thing that leaders do is to try and command right actions. But what Paul's doing is through Timothy, he's moving to those who are empowered economically. He says, I want your heart. And I did not share all the detail of what I was going to preach, but two or three times in the meeting today, we've been promised God wants to give us a, 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 a new heart. He wants to take out of us the heart of stone, the hard heart, and he wants to put a tenderness into us. But it's a tenderness toward him first. This is the God who says, I'm going to be your God, and I want you to be my people, which means I'm inviting you into my operating system. I want you to understand how I'm at work in the world and how I want to be at work in you. So here we go from verse 6. Now, you know it's about money because he just straight away says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, please just remember this, money is not a problem. It's just a currency for for transactions. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, 
have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Does that sound fatherly? Does this sound like God is caring for us? He's wanting to spare us? Command, verse 17, command those who are rich in this present life. Now, Timothy is a young pastor. He's already said, God's not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of love and of power and a sound mind. He's got to like boost this young pastor. Now he tells the young pastor, go to the guys who have economic means, talk to that bandwidth of high earners, command them who are rich in this present world relatively to context, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they will lay hold of the life that is truly life. Come on, people. This is God's word. The safest place in the world is to be in a right relationship with God in a beautiful community of like-minded people, but also to be under God's word. Today, I come as a servant of the word of God. I want us to be under God's word. I don't want to nitpick at all our favorite verses to end up with the result that we've been craving, and we end up living in perpetual immaturity. So I'm wanting to raise our gaze a little and uh, go a little deeper in what it means to, uh, to be aligned to God. And, and I want you to hear it again. It's what God wants for us, not from us. And so what's the key verse that came out? Of course you saw it. You guys are so sharp here in Nairobi, particularly in one tribe. You must have seen it. God's calling us to put our hope in God. It's a God focus. In verse 17b, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. <laughs> who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Can we say it out loud? Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Does that sound like God wants to baptize us in disappointment, in lemon juice, in lack? It sounds like God is wanting to take care of us. It's what he wants for us. And God is not wanting to pleasure-proof our lives. He's wanting to take all the wonderful blessings. I'm glad for that verse because I'm going to play golf with Kelvin this afternoon. And that's a very elitist sport. I don't live there all the time. But I'm going to make him broke because not only am I going to play golf with him, I'm going to take money off him. Okay, now I'm in trouble because he's going to announce that I lost next week. God is a giver who generously provides us for everything. I want you to settle that because most of our economic anxiety is because we're not convinced of this. And so the four things God wants to do to anchor, it's like a call to maturity, this in some ways. It's, and, and God wants us to discover the liberating power of what you, you, we're going to hear today. It, it frees us. And we sang about freedom, this call to freedom. I'm hoping that when we, by the time we finish, you're going to say, wow, I needed to hear that. Wow, it's so freeing to hear this stuff. Okay, number one, what God wants for you, what God wants for us, 
for the economically empowered, for those, Cape Town, we're in a, in a bandwidth of high earners. You would be the same in Nairobi, generally averaging it all out. God wants to upgrade our personal asset register. Hmm. So Rigby, what on earth is all that about? Whatever you own, whatever you measure your wealth by, like I got a car, I got a home, I got a job, I got an income, I got a pension fund, I, I got stuff. Very often that stuff are all good things, they're blessings of God. I'm not coming to you to say any of that's bad. I'm just coming to you to say God wants to upgrade it. God wants to enlarge your asset register. Now I know I've got your attention. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will content, we'll be content with that. What's Paul trying to say? He's saying all the stuff that you would put on your asset register is not enough to actually give you ultimate contentment in this life. It gives you relative security. We are economic beings. We need to pay our bills. We need to get our kids through school. We need to, you know, put petrol in our motor car. So the, those are, none of that stuff is wrong. But what happens is when we get all of that right, we start to feel secure. And he's coming to say to us, that is not the grounds for your security or your contentment. It's not the grounds. How many of you have heard of Jonathan Edwards? Is that like preacher from young ago from, the, uh, from New England? He, he preached a sermon on Christian happiness. And he, he said three reasons why any Christian can be completely happy and content. Listen carefully. First, your bad things will turn out for good. If God is with you, then Romans 8.28 says he will find a way to walk with you through it so that even the bad things will in many ways have good effects in your life and in your heart. Here's what he's saying. You can have all your asset base there nice and tidy, but if you don't have contentment as something that is a real power and liberating reality in your life, you're not rich enough. You're in spiritual poverty. Whether you own 20 homes and every German motor car, 4x4 or Japanese one, whatever is like sought after, it doesn't matter. We're aspiring to poverty. If that's the lane, we just continually want to grow in. And Paul's making the case that the problem with that lane is it gets shaken every now and then. And right now we're in a bit of global economic uncertainty and you know what's happening with your oil price, petrol price, us down south. We've got the same challenges. And Paul's trying to say through Timothy to those that are economically empowered, guys, I've given you everything for your enjoyment. I'm glad that you've got an asset register. But just make sure top of your register is godliness with contentment is great gain because some of the stuff you've got is going to be shaken from time to time. It's not enough to give you personal shalom. Can I have an amen? amen. He second, does Jonathan Edwards say, your good things can never be taken away from you. Ah, your good things can never be taken away from you. What good things? Friends, 
We were orphans. We sang about it. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've sang about it. The Holy Spirit has been put into our life. And He's busy transforming us into those who created in the image of God and conforming to the image of Christ. And something greater than all our economic aspirations, we've got that we can never lose. If you've been adopted into the family of God, if you've been born again, given a new heart, if you have been justified, if your orphanhood has now translated into I'm now a son or a daughter of God, friends, this is the stuff we can never, ever lose, and it is the ultimate good stuff that has no shelf life. It has no sell-by date. It's forever. Add to that our sanctification, God's work purifying us. Add to that our future glorification. It's guaranteed whom he justified, them he also glorified. My friends, put your safety belt on. We, here's the point, the big point. Is you richer right now if your faith is in, G- in Jesus than you could ever be with everything in all the gold mines, diamond mines, oil wells? You are richer than you could ever imagine if your faith is in Jesus Christ and you are His. Your bad things will turn out for good. Your good things can never be taken away. Thirdly, the best things are yet to come. Oh, my ultimate dream is that holiday in Mauritius. I'm a little higher. I mean, I'd like a holiday in Mauritius. If anybody's, you know, got a spare whatever, I'm happy to do it. It's not ultimate, though. It's nice. Listen, third things, 30, the best things are yet to come. Paul says, when I see, when I see imminent death, torture, because of his apostolic ministry, the persecution, 39 lashes, that stuff, imprisonment, he says, it doesn't bother me. Why? Because even an early, tragic, painful death is not ultimate because death is a servant through the resurrection of Jesus to usher me into glory and into the presence of God forever and ever. So this is the thing. God wants to upgrade our asset register, wants you to know if your faith is in Jesus, if you're still exploring faith, I just want to say... (laughs) The shaking of global stuff is designed to make us aware of our need for something more ultimate. Make us aware of, you might, you might have X number of PhDs, you might be the most skillful person, you might have, have tremendous skill and capacity to generate wealth. God wants you to know whatever you generate is not enough for ultimate contentment, peace, joy. And you can come to Christ today Raise that white flag and say, God, I'm so exhausted by living on the treadmill of self-generating my shalom. I want to move from the treadmill, from ladder climbing. I'm more than him, less than her, more than him, less. I'm on the way up. I want to trade the ladder for the escalator of grace. You step on to the work of what Jesus has done, and we get raised into this new life-giving reality. It's what God wants for you. It's to free you from these other tyrannies. Second big one is God wants to protect us from being trapped in the wrong cycles. Listen carefully. Whether you're high end or lower end of the bandwidth in this church, whether you're rich or poor, 
Paul writes in verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation. It's a global temptation, and it, but it's a trap. Into many foolish and harmful desires. And the word desire there, epithumia, epithumia is the Greek word for inordinate desire. It's a desire that connects to identity. I have to have this thing in order to feel good about myself. And there's a trap there. Harmful desires, and it harms us in ways we don't know, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Destruction For the love of money, that kind of dis, disordinate affection, the love of money, wealth, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs or griefs. Sometimes I think we're reading this passage, but it's actually reading us. <laughs> it's God in His kindness is saying, I, I know how the, your culture works. I know what's going on. I want to free you from the traps and the cycles that lead to destruction and damage and hurt marriages and families and identity issues. We get, because money is so important, how many marriages, how many homes have been harmed by this disproportionate pursuit of provision because we're not absolutely 100% that God really loves us, that He really cares for us, and He gives us all things. He's a provider. He gives us all things for our enjoyment, all things that are for our good and for His glory. Sometimes we're looking for stuff that's for our glory. Disproportionate desire does that. So a little question, a little test. How many like to do a little test with me? I know some of you are feeling, oh, this is like root canal treatment, this meeting. Just relax. This is life-giving. This is, we need to hear this. It takes courage for me to bring it. And it takes courage for you to say, God, what are you actually saying to me? Here's the question. Can you be under money's power and not be aware of it? Yeah. How would you know? whether you are under money's power. Let me give you a few markers. And then that's just for you to locate yourself. So say, okay, I'm going to need the help of the Spirit in my life. Number one, if you're always talking about money, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you're always talking about money, then you need to know it's not all. And remember, this is whether you're rich or poor. You're always talking about it. What you're essentially saying is money is my functional savior. Money is going to be the thing that delivers and brings me what I'm looking for. Two, when we exaggerate its power, like if I could just win the lottery, my whole life would be changed. 90% of people who've won the lottery, their lives have been ruined. Do you still want to win the lottery? I want to win the lottery, but on the other side of being mature, <laughs> knowing what to do with it. It'll change the way we steward those resources. And that's what happens. We say, if only this, then that. God wants to free us. It's a trap. It can plunge us into ruin. Then he says, when it controls our choices. Okay, so you've got 10,000 shillings in the bank. And you go shopping. It's like the lady that, that was always overspending her money. And she gets home to her husband with these packets from all the top department stores of dresses and clothes and blouses and shoes. 
And her husband says to her eventually, she says, love, we just got to call it. This is really outrageous. All this overspending. Christian family. So he says to her, he says, my love, what I want you to try and do is next time you're in the mall, next time you see a, a really nice dress, just say, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> next day she comes back, more packets of everything, and he says, what's gone wrong? You're going to bankrupt me. She says, I did exactly what you asked me to do. I put on this amazing dress, the shoes, everything. I looked in the mirror and I said, get behind me, Satan. And I heard a voice behind me saying, it looks way better from the back. <laughs> okay, silly. It's not a true story. I hope you realize. It's just a joke. But essentially what happens is she, she bought and we do is we bought because we measure what we want by what we've got in the bank. That's not necessarily spiritual. It's economically affordable. Sometimes you have to say, is this necessary? Just because you should, you could doesn't mean you should. And uh, I don't want to get into too much of that, but here's the big point. God wants to protect us because he loves us so much. He's a good, good father. He wants to protect us from being trapped in the wrong cycles. Coming, He wants to deliver us from inordinate desires, those desires that drive us. He wants to sanctify those appetites in a way that we can still enjoy his blessings and we can buy the, the dress and the, and the shoes in, in right proportion to our income and to the will of God. And uh, how many of you know God goes shopping too? If we're filled with the Spirit, he's in our lives. We can say to him, Lord, this is so wonderful. I'd really like this. And wait and, and ask for his peace in there. I don't want to get into the weeds on it, but here's the big point. Paul is saying to the rich, you are more vulnerable than you realize to be under, under money's power. And, uh, and we've got some of the symptoms that are identified, and he wants to free us from that. I'm just going to move on to the fourth one. There are three things that, you can, that can help with, uh, with the money trap. Is Number one, uh, the first way to escape the tra trap is through contentment. Paul said, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation whether I have plenty or whether I've been poor. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you hear what he just said? The secret is not being content. The secret is being, con is being strengthened by Christ on the inside in every moment of life to say, this doesn't have to, I don't have to have it to define myself. It can be a blessing. I can enjoy it. It's a wonderful thing. The second one is through understanding grace, to have a grace-ravished heart. To understand that uh, we br we br Paul says it, he said, we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out. What is that? It's a picture to creation. And when we are buried, we've got nothing. We're naked. We're vulnerable. He's saying you're very vulnerable, but so it was Jesus vulnerable when he died on the cross. When he, who was rich for your sakes, became poor, that through your poverty he might be rich. He wants to pour the riches of his grace into our lives as the grounds for avoiding the money trap because when grace is in me, the things that really matter. Guys, we've got to let the gospel drill down into our hearts, the doctrines of grace and justification. They've got to get deeper into us. And the third way to beat the money trap is through seeking a simplified lifestyle. That's not pleasure-proofing our lives. That's not enjoying 
going out on an anniversary thing. It's not meaning you're not going on an overseas trip. It's, it's just meaning living within your income. And it's very interesting. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he's talking about putting on this new man. He's talking to people that have come from all walks of life, and he says to those who used to steal, he says, it's a, fun, it's a funny verse. In the King James Version, it says this, let him who steals steal no longer. Let him work with his hands so that he will have something to share. Now, some people read it like this. Let him who steals steal. No longer work with his hands. <laughs> it's like, it's like a, a funny one, but it's, it's notice the flow is very clear. If you, this is how you used to do it because you had to have it. You resorted to dishonest means to get it. Let him who steals no longer steal. Put yourself to work. Become productive. Be economically active so that you can pay your bills. No. The primary reason we're employed in the grace of God and God gives us these jobs and in a new community and we're living out the gospel, we work so that we may have something to share. In other words, it's not grace to us. It's grace through us. Can you see God's upgrading our maturity from being preoccupated or fixated with grace flowing to us, which we do need, but he's converting it into these, the sense of grace flowing through us. Third big thing God wants for us. So the way to beat the money trap is, can you give it back to me? Contentment, grace, and simplicity. And simplicity is just, just because you can live the most extravagant life within the, the cultural context that you live within yours and model margin for generosity because you're not like everybody else. We're living transformed lives. Okay? The, thir the third one is God wants a higher maturity for us as good stewards of his blessings. Very interesting. Command those that are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us for everything for our enjoyment. It's living this God-centered life is really the key to maturity. We're not aware of stuff as much as we're as, as to put your hope in God. The God-centered life. It's a mark of maturity when we're just rooted, when we're anchored, and uh, when we are persuaded, we don't have to worry. Did you read that headline uh, in, uh, in the Nairobi Herald? What's that major newspaper? About all the pigeons that hit that statue in the middle of town, and they all just died. And they did a, they did a discovery on why the pigeons all died, and they died because there was just no food. You didn't read that, did you? It's just a silly illustration to say he feeds the birds of the air, and are you not more important and special? How much unnecessary anxiety do we important to our lives? And, and what happens is that makes us fearful. And a fearful spirited person can't release, can't give. And God wants us to participate in his nature. That's a, a mark. And God is a giver. So if God is at the center, if we're dealt by the Spirit, if we're becoming more like Jesus, God wants to invite us to become like Him. He runs the universe on OS 
Grace 1.0. The reason there's not a 2.0 or all these other versions, there is no need for improvement. It is the perfect operating system of the universe. God runs it out of his generation, out of his generosity. He's created all things out of love and out of his generosity. Now that Spirit of God is indwelling us. God says, I want to show you what it's like to make your life a riverbed of my goodness and my grace. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to coach you to how to steward wealth in the way I steward all my resources. He's the rock of ages. I'm going to make you a chip off the old block, somebody once said. So we move from being arrogant and hoping for more, and God can still give us more, to being humble and hoping for God. It's maturity. God wants us to, be, to, to aspire to be more like Him in our economic life, not just for outcomes, transactions. Hmm. I just love it. And then He says, well, the big point is, in terms of this call to maturity, here's the big point. If you are following Jesus Christ, you're going to become more like him. Let me say it like this. To be heir to his blessings and not to his nature is unbiblical. You can have the biggest asset thing, but if you're not becoming more like Jesus, you're not mature. You can be an absolute baby and own half of Kenya in terms of how God sees it. He says, you're being transformed to express my operating system, and you're doing it out of this wonderful sense of security. Last one. Are you ready? Just a little question. Is this helpful? And for the two or three of you that are being helped, an all-expenses-paid trip to Mauritius, care of Sean Anderson. Okay, I've left the best to last, because we are very often... The world is in a crazy place, and I think there are times where we do get naturally fearful. And so when we're in difficult times, sometimes get a bit stingy, we start to get fearful, and we close down the flow of grace and resources from our lives, and we move to, I need, oh God, help me, oh God, it's going to be really tough, oh, I'm going to be wise like... Pharaoh and Joseph. I'm going to start to store up because it could get really, really bad. Under the new covenant, we've been released from those kind of cycles. Take no thought for tomorrow is almost what Jesus says because all the problems in tomorrow, you know, they'll take care of themselves, but you've got a father who knows what you need. And the reason we're stingy is not because we're stingy. Mostly we're stingy because we're fearful. We're afraid. And what Paul's trying to hit here is this nerve of fear. And he's saying, I don't want you to be afraid. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is for you. God is for you. Who can be against you? God says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to give you, take away that heart of stone and fear, self-preservation. I'm going to give you the heart of flesh, tenderness, graciousness, generosity. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to be your good, good father. And you're going to be my people. And we're going to have the same operating system. 
And so the final point, God says, and I want to show you now where you can focus your generosity, says this to those who are in that higher income band. God wants to convince us to invest offshore to secure the best possible returns. God wants to convince us to invest offshore. You say, where's offshore? Listen up. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. All those that are economically empowered, he says, I want you to command them. Now, that's tough language for this young pastor, drum solo, in this way, as they give in the way that, and live generously in the way that is being commanded, rich in good deeds, to do good, to be generous, willing to share, in the way they do this, they will lay up Treasure, next two words, for themselves. In this way, they will have treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. People, we are eternal beings. And our lives on this planet are like a burp against the backdrop of eternity. And God is saying, I want you in the burp to take Wealth by the scrub of the neck to take whatever you earn. What, when, when you get the money coming into your account, the first thing that happens, you say, I want you to do good. I want you to be willing to share. I want you the nature to be willing, not just reluctantly, oh, I signed a pledge card. Oh, well, it's going to cost me. No, 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 no. Do this because we love him, because there's nature is flowing in us. Do good. That is, use your money in a way that helps people. And the local church is the best vehicle God has on planet Earth to push the gospel out, to help people in multiple ways. And as you give in and through the local church, and as they partner with all kinds of ministries, uh, there's this wonderful sense of investing in eternity. Because the results of what happens when lives are transformed is eternal currency. It's an eternal investment. And then he says, not just uh, do good, he says, be rich in good deeds, which is don't just throw your money in a certain direction. You yourselves get involved in your currency. It's got to be offered as, in, in, you've got to be interested in where it lands. Be involved in your local church. Be involved in some of the ministries that are stewarding that resources to reach people who are in need or are far from God. That's, that's the personal element to it. And then finally, it's this thing of being liberal, be willing to share, to let it flow from you. And he says this crazy thing. As you do that, in this way, in this way, you're making the best investment you could ever make because in eternity, Paul writes to the Philippians, he says, I'm not looking for money from you. He says, I'm looking for that which may be credited to your account on that day. Jesus says, don't lay up treasures on this earth. Lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. It's what God wants for you. Right attitudes, right understanding of stewarding wealth produces a liberty, a freedom, a joy. And here's the point. When we die, we take absolutely nothing with us. You've never seen a hearse with a trailer. You can't take it with you, but you can send it 
on ahead. And it's the power of ordinary. We live in these beautiful rhythms of grace and life, and we are economic beings, and we're working, and we earn our living by the sweat of our brow, every one of us. And as that, those funds come in us, we are working with our hands so that we can be able to share, that we can go beyond just paying our bills. You want a, you, you want a, you want a definition of the worst farmer in the world is the farmer who eats his seed. Paul says to the Corinthians, he said, God gives bread to the eater and seed to the sower, except the order is not that. He gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And every income uh, deposit into your account, that's, that's the return on your labor, it is both seed and bread. If you keep eating your seed, it is a crazy thing. And God is saying, no, sow your seed, eat your bread, and watch what I do. And it's not always the promise of a better car, a nicer home, because the ultimate investment portfolio, the inside hot tip from heaven, is when we get to heaven one day and all the books are open, we are going to be so surprised. And maybe the widow is going to look absolutely glorious on that day because she gave proportionately way, way more. So, let's land the talk. God wants to help us in four ways. God is for us in four ways. Firstly, He wants you to know you're richer than you could ever imagine if your faith is in Jesus. Secondly, I'm your Father, and I want to protect you from a wrong relationship with wealth and money. I want to break the cycles. I want you to come into economic freedom. Thirdly, I want to coach you into maturity, and the ultimate measure of maturity is more grace flows from us than to us. Now, you've got to have grace flowing to you. But if it's all damned up and it's all about you and you're eating your seed, no, a maturity is where I am not fearful, stingy. I'm starting to experience the operating spirit of the Holy Spirit in my life, this generosity, grace operating system 1.0. And it's flowing to the forward movement of the gospel, to the care of widows and orphans, to the care of others. And then fourthly, God wants to give us as a gift an offshore return focus. To start a few, this, you lose absolutely nothing. Every single shilling, rand, or whatever the currency is that flows through you for the good, it's credited to your account. Not as in literal savings, but as in the return in rewards that are eternal, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy. There is a day. And folk, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm hoping this will secure us, hoping it will anchor us. We've got tough days coming in. We're not sure what it looks like in the world. And what happens is we can get more fearful. This message is designed to strengthen us on the inside, fortify us. But it's also an invitation to the orphans, those who haven't come home, who are not experiencing this, who are in the money trap, who are in the tyrannies of, of, of uh, the traps of culture. God wants to free you. wants you to hear that invitation that we got right up front. And as we started worship, I want to put a, a new spirit in you. I want to take out that heart of stone where you've been hard toward me. I want you to know I'm not hard toward you. I sent my son 
who was crushed. This last Easter, we celebrated what Jesus, the lengths God went to, to bring us home. He says, I want to give you a tender heart. I want you to get this heart of flesh that can respond to me, that can respond to the pain in the world and the, the, the mission of Christ in this world. He says, I want to be your God. That's his invitation. I want to be your God. Not next week, not next year, today. Come home to him. And this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not a, an external course you go through. It's an internal invitation, response, where you are transformed on the inside. It's not going for an extreme makeover to become different. We're not trying to be different. We're wanting to be fully occupied by a new life, this resurrection power we sang about. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm just going to pray a short prayer that I'm going to invite Sean to come up. Let's just stand up. Let's bow our heads before the Lord. Lord, you said if anybody puts their faith in Jesus, the Son of God, if anyone trusts that Jesus died, not just in history or on the cross, because that's history, but, but, but that he died for me, that he died for us. When we put our faith and are confident that we don't have to try and earn our salvation, but that you died for us once and for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us home, to bring us to God. Lord, it's just too good to be true. You said that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a new person on the inside. Old things pass away. Everything becomes brand new. Lord, I want to pray for our friends today who have not yet made Jesus Christ Lord and leader of their lives. I want to pray that even a simple talk on uh, economics can help everyone to see it's not about the money, but it's about the heart. And that you're after our hearts in loving and wise and protective ways. You care about us and you want to free us to be exclusively yours, where our hope is in God, that we're not thrown by all the headlines in the newspapers and online and social media rage and et cetera, et cetera, but you want us to find our hope in God. And uh, I just want to say if that's you, it can, your whole life can change today. Simple prayer. Go something like this, just where you are, you can just pray this prayer. God, thank you for speaking to me today. Thank you for calling me to this moment in time in my life. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're for me. Thank you that you sent your son to die for me. Lord, one thing I know is that I need to be forgiven, rescued, and saved. The other thing I know is I cannot rescue and save myself. I need a savior. And today, on the 24th, of April 2022, I want to put my trust and my hope in Jesus Christ, your Son, as my Savior. I want to say, Lord, I'm so sorry for my sin. I'm so sorry for my disordered desires. I want to come to you and I want to say, come into my life today and make me brand new on the inside. Begin to transform me into the kind of person you want me to be. Give me my, the freedom you long for me to have. Make me your own and dwell me by the Holy Spirit from today. Lord, I'm an orphan coming home to be a son or a daughter. 
and I receive your grace and your salvation. Save me today in your name. Lord, for the One Tribe family, those who've been following you for years, sometimes our hearts can drift into a kind of hardness or fearfulness, asking you to tenderize our hearts by the workings of the Holy Spirit today. It seems like you're wanting to keep call us to a tenderheartedness, to a yieldedness to you, a fresh sense of surrender. And we do that together as the people of God. In Christ's name. Amen. If you put your faith in Jesus today, fantastic. I don't want to embarrass you. I'm not sure of the culture here, but I know this. You need to tell somebody, either person you came with, or come and talk to one of the pastors, and just say, hey, I prayed that prayer today. And then let's do everything we can to provoke each other to be these mature Christ followers who know how to hold wealth and money in, uh, in right uh, relationship to our discipleship. Thank you for the privilege of speaking to you. I hope you guys will invite me back after that. <laughs>